judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. In the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Don't give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is God's word. Do not judge as among the most often quoted command of Jesus. Sure, you've heard it plenty of times. You might have even made a statement that came across as judgment, and somebody responds and says, didn't Jesus say, do not judge? In fact, that's often a response to, to Christians. In general, no, you, that Jesus says, do not judge. Uh, why, why is this one of our favorite commands? Most likely because we don't like to be judged. When we're judged, it seems as though somebody is standing above us and, and making pronouncements about us. When we are judged, we often feel like people are defining us by our faults. We often feel that uh, we're being misrepresented and misunderstood and that we're being diminished as individuals. And many of us don't like it when other people are being judged because we, we think it's unfair. No, I, we, we don't like to be judged, and yet we live in a culture where it seems that's almost all we hear outside the church and inside the church. Outside the church, it's the pundits, the politicians, professors, and peers we seem to hear endless judgments pronounced on those who disagree. We see that not only are there judgments made about a person's words, but they're ascribed motives that are often far removed from the reason that people are holding particular views. And we, we have labels for them. If you seem to disagree, you... You're a chauvinist, a racist, a white supremacist, a homophobe, a transphobe, a, a xenophobe. We have all sorts of names that we use to judge each other. And just, you read some of the streams of twit, Twitter, and what do you see? Vicious statements about one another, back and forth fighting, judging one another. Of course, no Christians are ever a part of that. We certainly shouldn't be a part of that. But there's judgment within the church as well. It's often what divides churches. We make judgments about people's spiritual lives based on what we think is right. A while back, Barna did a survey, and he was asking uh, 
people who weren't Christian, what they thought of Christians, what really marked Christians for them. And they said two things. They said, Christians are people who bring their Bibles to church and judge other people. Unfortunately, we've earned that. So today we come to Jesus' words. We, we all need to learn from Jesus' words. Do not judge. And let's, this morning, hear those words and see what Jesus means by them. Our Father, help us to see as you see. Help us to have grace toward one another, the kind of grace that you have toward us. Father, we, we live in, in a society right now where there are just so many unfair statements about one another. Such bitterness. Lord, you give us an opportunity to stand out as being different. Lord, help us through your Spirit and through your word this morning, to be different, to be a taste of Christ, his goodness, his love, his tolerance. In Christ we pray, amen. So what I want to do this morning is first look at what is Jesus is Jesus really saying we should never have judgment? What's he talking about when he says do not judge? Secondly, how we are to judge. What way? What quality should we have if and when we make judgments? And thirdly, how do we become the people who have the heart to judge the way Christ is asking us to judge. So first is Jesus saying, do not judge. Does he mean never make a judgment about anyone? And he's not saying that. Uh, in fact, these words are spoken in the Sermon on the Mount. And the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' comment, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. So the very purpose is to say, look at the scribes and Pharisees, your righteousness has to be bigger. And then he points out things about them that we are not to imitate. When they give, they blow trumpets, so everybody is watching them as they pour their money into the offering box. He says, don't, don't be like that. And they stand on the corners and lift their holy hands and they pray loud and magnificent, lengthy prayers to impress people. And Jesus says, don't, don't be like that. In fact, Jesus is going to say, uh, God's going to say in Scripture later, he says, use the word of God to reprove one another, rebuke one another, teach one another with the word of God. He says, speak truth to one another. One of the ways we grow as Christians is through the other Christians helping us to see what in our lives is not like Jesus Christ so that God can address those things. In this, this very passage, 
he gives us ways in which to judge. He says, take the speck out of your, bro out of your brother's eye. He tells us, don't cast your pearls before swine. So Jesus is not saying, do not judge. I think what he's getting at is, there is one judge, and that is Jesus Christ. We are not to make judgments based on our own understanding, our standards, our values. Every judgment we ever make has to be one that Jesus Christ himself would speak. So there is a place to speak truth into one another's lives. But how? We need to be very careful in how we do it, and that's what Jesus lays out uh, in these verses. He's ultimately saying, do not be judgmental. There was a, uh, I, I was on jury duty once and got to talking to a fellow next to me. And he explained how Jesus said, do not judge. And therefore, he would not judge anybody. So when the judge finally calls us out and he asks us questions, uh, they never seated that individual because he could not make a judgment about anybody, no matter what they had ever done. So uh, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about that judgmental attitude, being a person who is quick to judge, quick to speak, one who sets himself up as the ultimate authority, who uses judgment to lower other people so that they lift themselves up. In Romans 14.10, uh, Paul says, You then, why do you judge your brother, or why do you look down on your brother? See, he's equating the fact that when we make judgments, we look down on others. That is not what we are to do. When we speak words into one another's life, it is not as though we are superior to them. We are sinners. We are there to help them on their journeys, not to lord it over them. Uh, John Stott says this. He says, The centurious critic is a fault finder who's negative and destructive toward other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous toward their mistakes. Worse than that, to be censorious is set to set oneself up as a censor. And so to claim competence and authority to sit in judgment upon one's fellow men. This is what Jesus is speaking about. Do not be judgmental. Secondly, Jesus says, judge graciously. In verse 2, he says, 
For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. The measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so in a sense, he's, he's getting us to look at what kind of standard of measurement we use. Well, how do we want God, how do we want other people to, to judge us and use that standard? And so when I think about it, how do I want God to judge me? How do I want others to, to judge me? One, I want them to be slow and patient. I want them to be gentle and caring. I want them to be quick to forgive, to not hold my failures against me and lock me down as a certain type of person because of some things I've done. I want judgment to be with grace and understanding. That's the way I should be judging others. See, I want people who judge me to judge me because they care about me and they love me. Not because they want to put me down or they want to constrain me. The Apostle Paul in Romans 9, 2 and 3, he speaks about the Jewish people. Now, he speaks condemnation about those who do not accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah, who miss the fact that they are sinners who need a Savior. The animal sacrifices were showing them there needed to be payment for their sin. And these individuals have rejected the fact that Jesus Christ came and made that payment for their sin. Paul makes what appears to be very harsh judgment. Something our culture feels today when we say Jesus Christ is the only way. People feel very judged. They feel that's harsh condemnation. And they, of course, judge us as being uncaring, unloving, intolerant, and exclusivistic. But this is what Paul says. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Do you hear what Paul's saying in these words? He's saying, though I pronounce judgment upon the Jews, my heart is so broken for them, it's in anguish to have to be able to say these things. That my heart is so great for them that I wish I went to hell if that would give them heaven. See, that's the heart of a man can make judgments. That's the heart we need to have. That any statements we make like this are those from broken hearts wanting the best. We don't make judgments unless we care enough for that person to make a judgment that would be helpful and beneficial to them. 
remember I shared this a few weeks ago. Very early in my ministry, there was a couple that was living together. And I felt I had to address that and share with them that that was not right. And I was ready to have him come in my office and I was going to slam him with the Bible. And it was as though God said to me, Bruce, do you care for them as people? Do they know that you care about them as people? Do they know that you love him, that you're going to be speaking these words out of love? And my answer to God was, no, they don't know that because it's not coming out of love. It's coming out of uh, my feeling that as the minister, I have to come down and make sure everybody's living a holy life. And so I learned a lesson from God that day, and I said, if I'm going to speak judgment, I have to love those people. And so instead of calling him into my office, I called him and said, let's go out to dinner. And so we had a wonderful and a great time together. And then the next day, I was able to sit down with them. But they felt loved when I spoke to them. And they responded. Judge graciously, judge out of love and care. Third, judge yourself first. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus gives us a very humorous picture. A plank, this word is often used for uh, a, a plank across the, the flooring of a house to hold the, the floorboards together. It's 40 feet long and 5 feet around. Bigger than a, a telephone pole. And so he makes this contrast. You've got this telephone pole in your eye, and you're trying to take out this little speck of sawdust from your brother's eye. How humorous is that? First, take that plank out of your eye. Then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, One of the great things about looking at other people and ready to make judgments is that should key us to look at ourselves first. Any single time we are about to say something about another person, stop and look at yourself. First of all, in, are we exactly like them? Look at that. Then let's look at our hearts. What's going on in our hearts when we, when we judge? Look at the sin in our lives. And when we look at the sin in our lives, we start to become more humble. And so when we look for the speck, we do it out of humility, knowing that we're not better than this person we're going to address. We are desperate sinners in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We're not above anybody. 
And so use these times to examine ourselves. See if there's something similar in our own life that we're about to, to say to another person. Or about another person. Judgment isn't simply saying things to a person. It's saying things about people. Examine, what, what do you say about people? Now use that standard of judgment on yourself. And then go deeper. Look at our motives. And I just shared one of my motives for judging that young couple was I felt it was my job to, to make sure everybody lived a holy life. I felt at the time that the church was expecting me to come down on this couple. And my position as minister, uh, I would be seen as failing. That's not the right motives. Sometimes I judge because people have been judging me. So my response is not to hear that and see what God wants to change in me. It's to strike back and find the weakness in the person who's judging me. I've got a giant plank in my eye that leads me to judging and to judging in the wrong way. I need to remove that plank. So then I can see clearly and then look at the speck. And so, Jesus says, be surgical in your judgments. You're taking a speck out of a brother's eye. Uh, Kent Hughes, a commentator, says this, the procedure for removing a speck from an eye is very difficult and delicate. There's nothing in the human eye body more sensitive than the eye. When we touch it, it closes up. What is required in clearing an eye is gentleness, carefulness, patience, and sympathy for the other person. In the spiritual realm, the care is even more delicate, for we are handling a soul, the most sensitive part of a human being. We're to be humble, sympathetic, conscious of our own sins, and without condemnation. We need God's mercy. We need to be people who speak the truth in love because the love of God controls us. Are we more interested in having our pronouncements recognized? Or are we caring for human souls? Careful, sensitive, 1 Thessalonians 5.14 is a, a passage that is very important to, to learn. I recommend you, you memorize it. When you start to look at other people and you want to come alongside them, it says this, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. What he's saying is that there is not a one-size-fits-all. We have natural uh, 
natural ways of approaching people. There are some of us who believe the best way is admonish, admonish, admonish. Then there's those of us who are encourage, encourage, encourage. And others of us who are help, help, help. And each of those is needed within the body, but each of us has to understand there is a time to admonish, there is a time to encourage, and there is a time to help. He says, here you admonish the unruly. And these are people who are disrupting the church. They're, they're gossiping throughout the church. They're causing problems in the church. They need to be admonished. They need to be shown they're wrong. Then you have those who are, are faint-hearted. Those who are, are struggling in their faith. Maybe they have a lot of questions. Maybe they have trouble trusting God. Maybe they're anxious or fearful. And so the admonisher comes in and says, didn't you read Philippians 4? Do not be anxious. Your anxiety is a sin. And Paul's saying here is that's not the way you approach your faint-hearted. You encourage them. You give them a picture of God and how God is at work in their lives and of what God can do in their lives. You give them a divine perspective that lifts them up and encourages them, gives them courage from God himself. And then there are those who are weak. They're struggling. We often think of people with addictions. They're weak, and we come in and we say, you know, you're, so, you're always such a horrible, horrific sinner that you're on drugs. No. These are people we come alongside and help. Look at Teen Challenge. Look at the faith these men have because somebody came in not admonishing them and making them feel they're condemned, but coming and helping them through their problem, then encouraging them. So we are to judge sensitively, understanding each person and what their need is and ministering to what they need, what, not what we think. We need to give them. And then we have this really tr difficult verse. 7-6. Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, you look at this, and Jesus starts with, do not judge, and then here he's calling people pigs and dogs, and there, there's an incongruence here. This just doesn't seem right. Jesus seems so condemning and judgmental. In reality, it's the opposite. What he's doing in these verses is he's calling Christians to be sensitive to unbelievers. So what, what's he actually, how do, what do, how, do we, how do we get to there? Well, first of all, when he calls people dogs and pigs, he's using the Jewish vernacular of the day. Gentiles were seen as those outside. They were seen as dogs, uncouth. And uh, it wasn't a term that 
denigrated a person. We have a passage where a Canaanite woman says to Jesus, can you help me? And he says, well, we don't give you know, food, our food to the dogs. And instead of being offended by that and, and react to Jesus and say, he must not be who he says he is, how dare he call me a dog? Instead, she says, speaks in wisdom and says, even the dogs eat the scraps under the table. And what she's saying is, even the Gentiles, you know, the Jewish people aren't feasting on you. So can't we as Gentiles have some of you? And Jesus says, that's wise. You're forgiven. You're blessed. And so there wasn't an offense. It was a statement of people outside the Jewish faith. And so what he's saying here is, do you realize if you just give what we have to offer to people who don't understand it and can't comprehend at all what you're trying to offer, it's like giving pearls to pigs. They're looking for something else. And so they start to eat the pearls and they become very upset because it's not the food they were wanting and they turn on you and they strike back at you. And so let's put this in our culture today. You go up to somebody who doesn't know the Lord and you say, you are a horrific sinner. You don't know how bad of a sinner you are but isn't it wonderful? Jesus saves you. He's the only way. Every other religion is wrong. You've got to understand that every other religion is wrong. And if you're in another religion, that is totally wrong. Jesus is the way. You're a sinner. You're going to hell without Christ. Believe in Jesus. Okay. Now, how is that going to be received? It's like, thank you for the pearls that you have just given to me. And so... People turn on us and they see us as hateful, mean-spirited, intolerant, and exclusive. That's exactly what he's talking about in this passage. So, so what's, what should our response be? It isn't never give the gospel. The response is understand the way a person's going to take what you say. Enter in in a way that will make sense to another person, that may come across as loving. You say, you speak to people in different ways, understanding where they're coming from, how they think. When Jesus comes to Nicodemus, he's straightforward and he says, Nicodemus, you're coming to me you think I'm a teacher from God, so you're respecting what I say. You can understand what I'm about to say because you know the scriptures. The scriptures say that God is coming to give people a new heart, a new life. He says, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. The next chapter, he goes to the woman at the well. Now, this is a woman who's an outcast in her own culture. She's in the wrong religion. She's hostile. She's hostile to Judaism as a Samaritan. And he comes over and says, woman, you need to be born again. He doesn't do that, does he? No. 
he says, can I have some water? So all of a sudden, this woman who expects Jesus to be over her, he's a man, she's a woman, he's holy, she's a sinner, he's a Jew, looks down on Samaritans, and she's expecting him to just come in over him, and instead he's like, will you serve me? Can you help me out? And all of a sudden, she says, you want me to help you? And then he, he talks to her about something that she really wants in life. I have living water to offer you. Now, she doesn't quite get that. She says, living water, boy, that's like I could get a faucet in my house and have water in my house. I won't have to come here to the well. But then he starts to clarify it. And once she's, she's captured by this and she really wants it, he then points out her sin. Go call your husband. I don't have a husband, I know. You've, got five, you've had five husbands and you're living with a guy who's not your husband. See, you've been trying to find life in men. You're trying to find identity in men. That's not where it is. And then she tries to cover it up and say, yeah, yes, I'm, I'm religious like you are. You know, uh, I'm Samaritan, but you're good too. You're Jewish. And Jesus says, no. There's one right religion. And it's, it's the worshiping in Jerusalem. It's Judaism. And she gets it and she says, yeah, and there's a Messiah coming. And he says, yes, I'm he. And all of a sudden, this woman, if Jesus said, be born again, would have just fled, has now come to faith and rushes off to tell the other people. Jesus didn't, she, she, she was a dog. She was outside the faith. He didn't just throw the pearls there. He nurtured her, he understood her, he met her, he, she trusted him. Then he could speak the entire gospel to her. Where are we? Who are the people in our lives? We don't go in and slam them because, I, I mean, I had the tendency to do this. I'm going to go share the gospel and say it straight there because I can pat myself on the back. God told me to evangelize and I'm evangelizing. That isn't the way Jesus evangelized. We need to understand there are people who are lost without Jesus Christ. But how do we enter into the life of each one? where they know we care for them, we love them, and we actually share the gospel, they'll know it's out of love. It certainly means we build relationships first. There are times we have to make judgments. Those judgments have to be those of Jesus Christ, not from ourselves. It can't be done in a judgmental spirit where we're just looking to find faults in people so we can show we're superior to them. It has to be done graciously and out of care and love for people. We need to take the plank out of our own eyes. We need to examine ourselves. We need to do it sensitively and carefully, knowing each person. And when we give the gospel, it has to be the same. Sensitively, understanding, caring.
That's a high, high calling. I cannot live up to that. That's not in me. Because I want to feel superior to people. So Jesus does give us a way to change us, to be the kind of people that can make these types of judgments. Jesus was humble. He was God, and yet he put off his deity, the glory of his deity, he became human. He was subjected himself to our ridicule, our torture, our punishment. He was our servant. God of the universe was our servant. What was going on inside of his heart that he could be that humble? We see it in John chapter 13, just before Jesus washes the disciples' feet in this tremendous picture of the humility and the picture of the servants we're supposed to be. John says this, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things to his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to the God, he rose from the table, he laid aside his outer garments, he took the, put on the towel, and he served. I'd say for decades I missed what God was saying in this. I always focused on he, he was humble. But it tells us why he was humble. What was going on inside of his heart? He said, he knew God had given all things into his hands. He was from God, and he was going to God. Jesus knew his identity. Because he knew who he was, he didn't need to lord it over anybody. He didn't need to top anybody. He didn't need to be the superior to anybody because he knew who he was in God's eyes. And we can become this kind of servant, have this kind of humility when we understand as believers in Christ who we are. We are children of God Almighty. We are the beloved of God. We are so treasured and so valued by God that he paid a price, not gold and silver, precious stones, but he paid with his own blood, his own life. The God of heaven stepped down for you and for me. He treasured us so much. He valued us so much. We are so significant, so important in his eyes that he died for us. So why do we need to feel superior to somebody else when he who is ultimately so much superior to us gave his life for us. When you're about to judge, stop. Think of who you are. Child of God. Beloved by God. Let that melt your heart. Let the gospel melt your heart. Because nobody, even if they're making judgments on you, nobody can take that away from you. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That changes us to be those who can speak the judgments of Jesus Christ 
graciously, lovingly, and humbly.